Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right. How great was Dan Soder last week? It's so fun. You know, you know you're, you're in good shape when you start a SummerSlam preview podcast. And you end up just talking about SummerSlam 91 for the entire show. That's exactly how it needed to go. I love listening to Dan Soder. If you didn't hear it, download last week's episode. Because it felt like he was like, oh, I like this one match from SummerSlam 91. But then he started listing all of his other favorite SummerSlam memories and realized they're all SummerSlam 91. There's something about it. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like if you're between like 30 and 34 years old, SummerSlam 91 just does it for you. Welcome. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, coming at you from the home studio today. You know what that means. Lila Garrity's face is in my lap. The dog, not the character from Friday Night Lights. That would be an entirely different conversation. But welcome to the show. Uh, what a massive SummerSlam weekend it's been. we got so much to talk about today. Uh, everything coming off of SummerSlam and then into this week. It's just news, 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 news. So we'll talk about all of that, a return of the state of wrestling, of course, this week. Um, I want to thank everybody who came out to the big live event on the Thursday before SummerSlam. Last week, I guess a week ago today, if you download the podcast on time, uh, the first big WWE-sanctioned event of SummerSlam weekend was Sam Roberts Live from Caroline's on Broadway. We had uh, Kevin Owens, we had Gallows and Anderson. It was a great showing. We completely packed the place out. They had to open up the back curtain, which they rarely do, to make room for everybody that wanted to see this show. But we were happy to do it. We were happy to do it for free. Katie Linendahl was there. Kathy Kelly was there. Everybody. Everybody who's anybody. And everybody had a really, really great time. And that's actually where I wanted to start this week. Because that is what I'll be sharing with you. There were people leaving the uh, live show at Caroline's going, hey, man, who's going to be on the podcast next week? It's like, you just heard it. What, like, Did you think I was just doing it for you? I'm going to share it with the rest of the audience, too. For, <coughs> for those of you, excuse me, for those of you that were in the house, uh, you're going to want to hear this again. Uh, it was so fun. It was so great having these guys in and and having everybody be as open and honest and cool as they were made it even better. This week, Kevin Owens, live from Caroline's, is on the podcast. We're going to start. I'm going to do it all. This is going to be an, a, 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 an extra large, supersized Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast this week because I'm going to give you not only the live interview that I conducted with Kevin Owens on stage at Caroline's, but we'll give you the audience Q&A too. And there's a lot of great stories. Honestly, I felt less of an interviewer. After I got uh, heard some of the questions you guys were asking in the Q&A. The Q&A 
had some amazing questions and some amazing stories come from it. But the whole the whole interview was good. I mean, no big surprise. Kevin Owens was an amazing guest. So here it is. This is my guest this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's Kevin Owens live from Caroline's on Broadway with not only me, but all of you that were able to show up for it. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Well, I didn't tell you which guest it was. Is it Evan Anderhold? <laughs> He's the jobber from Monday Night Raw two weeks ago. Come on, yeah. people, keep up. I feel like after uh, James Elroy or whatever, the Ellsworth. <laughs> See, I know. That's the name everybody remembers. Other than that, it's just, you know. We love jobbers. They're the best. They're the best, but our next guest is far from it. Yes. Our next guest is nothing but a winner. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Kevin Owens. Oh, yeah. There he is. Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is here. This chair is definitely going to break. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know if it was originally a stand rocking up, chair. We're going to do a swap. Yep. That's what's going to happen. Good idea. Yep. You got to know your surroundings. Is that better? It's not better. It isn't, is it? It's not. I just noticed the wood's gone. Huh. If I don't make it to SummerSlam, it's Sam's fault. That's right. That's right. I'll catch you if you fall. Don't All worry, right. dude. That's not going to end well for you. <laughs> and I like spending time with you. Thank you. Very good. How, uh... Wait your turn. <laughs> How happy were you when you show up and you had the same music in NXT, when you hear that music? Because it's some of the coolest music on the roster. It fits... Perfectly, and it could go terribly wrong. Music. Full disclosure: I wasn't a fan of the music. You didn't like it? No, I just didn't feel it. And then uh, I listened to it more and more. And uh, I actually got the music maybe three months before, well, two months before I started in NXT because I was down in NXT for two months uh, before I, I actually had my first match. So I drive to the NXT shows where I wouldn't be wrestling. I would just be watching and drive up and down and just listen to the music and try to get a feel for it and eventually grew on me. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Now you love it. I do, yeah. I mean, yeah. And now it's part of who I am. It just, I guess it wasn't at first. It just took some time to get used to it. It's kind of amazing that you went through all that time just watching The first shows. three months I was in NXT, uh, so me, Finn Balor, and Hideo Itami were sitting watching beginner training guys that have never been in the ring before doing roles the three of us for a month just staring and <laughs> but that's you know, just that's the way they do it i have so. to tell you i remember a couple years back 2k was doing like a press thing yeah. you remember that yeah and they let us all in me finn and hideo just rolling yeah one by like one. i'm, I'm yeah. videoing the thing because yeah. you finn and hideo are doing roles yeah and i'm like do they need to i mean now i know how to roll that's right <laughs> It's important. It's important. Um, do you feel like that's, that, that's gone away, kind of? Right? Like, if you got signed today, I would think that so, that would be a much more quick process. Yeah, I mean, I think they've kind of changed the way they did it. They were just doing it that way because that's what they would do for everybody. As right. soon as you get signed, you just 
spent a month. It was also a matter of, you know, uh, I relocated my entire family to Florida when I first signed with the WWE. So it was a matter of, you know, if you got to take a day off to go do something, to take care of something of your house or just, you know, I had to sign up my, my son for school, then you're not missing training. You're just missing observing training. So it's kind of a, it was kind of their way to just get people, uh, oh, you know, acclimated. give some time. Exactly. Yeah. Now I think, you know, uh, you know, Matt Bloom took over there and I think he's kind of changed the way it is. But, uh, you know, uh, honestly, I'm not, you know, that first month, of course, I could have, you know, I could have gone without watching, you know, uh, a dude roll for, you know, three hours. But uh, NXT in itself and the time I spent there was incredibly valuable for me once I got to Raw and SmackDown and everything. So uh, I look back very fondly on it. Yeah. Maybe one of my favorite stories that you shared with Sam and I was the early stages of actually coming up with the first KO shirt. Yeah. Can you retell that story? It's one of the most iconic KO stories. Well, I'm not even sure which story you're talking about. I'll tell you the only story I know about the, the first KO. Okay, so the original idea was, uh, and it, you know, a lot of people asked me about this particular shirt because it was in the vignettes before I got to NXT, was this kind of paint uh, design. Uh, that came about because um, a week after I got to NXT, they would do this thing where they would just kind of get people in the ring and uh, record footage of them uh, you know, just bouncing around in the ring and just kind of making faces and just, you know, for the entrance video and stuff like that or for the video packages that they do. And at that point, I had no identity. I, don't, I didn't know what my name was going to be. I didn't know what they expected from me. I had no idea. I'd been there for a week. Uh, so I had, had, like, nice wrestling, like, nice, clean wrestling singlets made with, like, that's, you know, super pro wrestler and... I was like, this looks terrible. And then uh, I had it on, and I was about to go do my thing, and Enzo walked past me and said, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I, I'm a wrestler. He's like, no, no, wear your, wear your, your shorts and your, your shirt that, you know. But then I didn't have a shirt, so I flipped a Guns N' Roses shirt I had inside out, and I used Finn Balor's paint to write Fight Me on it. And then they kind of liked the look of that, and then we made uh, an actual shirt with, like, I don't know, how to, like printed, like the paint thing. Uh, for some reason, we couldn't get the paint approved by, you know, the legal department for the shirt. And that's when the duct tape came about. And uh, the original duct tape that I had was actual, like, they were making the shirt with the duct tape that that guy's wearing right there. Right. So my gear, they wanted to look somewhat like that. So they had actual duct tape sewed onto a shirt. <laughs> and it looked terrible. <laughs> so I, I'm getting ready for my match in, on, uh, you know, my first match in, in NXT. And I, I put the shirt on. And I had matching shorts, and I look at William Regal, and he's just looking at me like, oh. Yes. <laughs> so I'm like, I know, I can't wear this. And then I saw that one, because I hadn't seen it yet. And I'm like, oh, I'll just cut the sleeves off that and wear it. And everybody's like, yeah, okay. And here we go. So somewhere in my house, there's a, an actual duct tape shirt that kind of looks like that, but not really. And it's sewn. Uh, it's the, the, the duct tape, it's actual duct tape that was sewn on. And uh, so you guys bad. are never going to get to see it. Because it's terrible. <laughs> That's a wise move. That's a wise move. Do you have any idea why uh, you seem to come up from NXT way quicker than, than anybody else? Oh, yeah, I'm really good. Is that what it, yeah. That's what it was. I, that was my theory. All right. I know it seems like I was joking, but that literally is the reason. <laughs> was there anybody... 
that like saw you, like that you caught somebody's eye? Was it did, you, did Vince McMahon watch you wrestle that match with John Cena and say, okay, I need him here regularly? Well, I mean, by the time I was, I, by the time I showed up on Raw that Monday to confront Cena, uh, I had already been told you're you're on the main roster. Permanently. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, I don't know who saw what. Obviously, I know Triple H. Triple H is the reason I'm here. He took the chance on me originally, and. Um, Obviously, I, I, he had a big, you know, a big part to play in it, but uh, I don't know who saw what and made them decide that it was time for me to come up when, you know, the, 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 usual, uh, the usual way to go about things back then, from, you know, to get called from NXT, it could take years, you yeah. know? Uh, I, mean, I mean, Finn Balor, like, you, you, he I was the guy I also feel like, were... honestly, I was probably at the right place at the right time because at that point, John Cena needed somebody to work with that people would be excited to see him work with and i think i was the guy and uh it's funny because when i first signed with uh, you know wwe my goal was to work with cena i got to do it right away so right. uh it was a hell of a way to start yeah you seem like a lot i i feel like there's two different there's there's a bunch of guys that are seem very comfortable on tv like like when i watch you and a couple of other guys I believe what I'm being told. I believe that, you know, the Kevin Owens on TV, when he's on TV, is that person and blah, blah, blah. And then you can also, and it's less now than it used to be, but it used to be a lot of people that it kind of felt like they were following instructions, reading a script or whatever it was. Um, Did you get kind of a little more freedom from the beginning? Or do you just have the ability to, okay, I see what this is and turn it into something that feels like yours. I mean, I've never been handed a script and been told you have to say exactly that. Mm-hmm. Never. Mm-hmm. I don't know about other people, but I've never been told that. Uh, I get the gist of where I'm going and what I'm supposed to say or what I'm supposed to feel, but also uh, I like to throw in my own twist on it, I guess. Yeah. But I think a lot of people do that. I think pretty much everyone do, does that, and I think that's... You know, it's up to you as a performer to, to, to make sure that you're putting out the best version of yourself out there that you can be. Uh, so if they're giving you something that you're not feeling, you have to let it know. I don't know if anybody does. Uh, you know, I don't, maybe some people don't. Right. But I've, you know, I've always been encouraged to give ideas and, and, and speak my mind. And uh, as far as I know, that's encouraged for everybody. So. When did you start as part of your wrestling style being the type that – interacts with the fans while the match is on that if you're gonna you put a rest hold on because you know they'll boo and then you'll yell at them while you're doing that i feel like um, go ahead so it started i guess i was kind of doing it a little bit before then but in 2005 i was traveling to pwg i was California. gonna ask if it was yeah. a pwg thing yeah. and um it was it wasn't a pwg thing really what happened is while we were on a layover uh I was with Sami Zayn. You guys know him. He's, he's all right. So uh, he went off to do whatever he does when people aren't around him. And I was walking towards a water fountain, and we were waiting for the, our connection. We were in Texas, and I saw Steve Austin just waiting in the corner by himself. And I'm like, holy, I'm not going to say the word that Carl Anderson said earlier. That's Steve Austin. So I walked back, and you guys have to understand at that point, well, still today, but at that point, I was the biggest. And I know there's a cliche, like, I was the biggest fan. No. My room, and I was, you guys, I was like 20 years old. (laughs) My room, my bedroom was plastered with Stone Cold Steve Austin posters everywhere. No, I didn't. I had a black bed sheet, but that's weird. I don't know why you just, I just told you that. But, but... 
That is. Yeah, bro, okay. bed sheets. My, my, here's the thing. My bedroom was, the walls were black, but you couldn't tell because I'm not kidding. This isn't an expression like, oh, yeah, I have so many. Po-. No. Every inch of my walls were covered with Steve Austin posters because I was the biggest Steve Austin fan. And you were also so when wrestling I saw him, at this time. Yes, you I was were a wrestling. wrestling. I was an adult. Like, these were <laughs> yeah. choices I made. So uh, I went over to Sammy. I'm like, we got to go. You got to go talk to Steve Austin. And he's like, what? And I didn't want to alert everybody, you know, ever around. So I'm like, we got to go talk to Steve Austin. So he's uh, doing the jerk. So he starts thing. walking. He's like, who, who are we fighting? Like, you thought we were going <laughs> to. Which is, you know. I almost feel bad about stabbing him in the back now. He was just willing to fight. Oh, okay, oh, I'm coming. Who are we fight? Anyway. So then we saw Steve Austin, and he's like, that's not Steve Austin. It is. <laughs> so we walked over, and he was, uh, ah, he was the coolest dude. And we took pictures. And then right before he got on, his, uh, on the flight, before us, because it was first class, ooh, um, <laughs> I said, hey, do you have any advice for us? Uh, you know, we're wrestlers. We're going to the show in California. And he's, uh, he told me to just keep running my mouth all the time. And I was already kind of doing it. Right. But then when he said it, just exploded. Uh-huh. And like that, the next day while I wrestled in PWG, I just <laughs> talked so much crap. Yes. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> and it just, uh, you know, snowballed from there. And now I won't shut up. Yeah. No. And, and it's great. I mean, I have to tell you, after the Beast from the East show, the, that's the title match with, with Finn. Yeah. Uh, I think Katie and I are in agreement that our favorite parts of the matches are number one, in the beginning, when you chuck the flowers. I don't need flowers. Yeah, I don't what do need you flowers. Need for? I'm a man. I don't need flowers. I don't want flowers. I don't like. But it's tradition, you know? I don't care. <laughs> right. no, yeah. The That's streamers the were stupid. Right. Yeah, he added uh, that uh, well, yeah. Right. And then I believe, uh, I believe it was a, uh, some kind of a chin lock, and the quote was. Uh, I hate your stupid country and everyone in it. <laughs> and what I'm saying is it felt real. I'm going to take that back, though, because I, I went back since. They're always so welcoming, so I strongly dislike their country. <laughs> but I don't hate it anymore. And most of the people in it. Well, because they have that raw fish everywhere. Right. I don't eat that. You're not a sushi guy. And then back when I was in Japan for 2006, I spent two months there. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, you know, I was at the dojo for Dragon Gate, uh, which was the promotion I was working for at the time, and I'd go out of the dojo on my days off, and I'd go to this little convenience store, and they had, like, spaghetti. It was really good. <laughs> then I went back, no more spaghetti. <laughs> Just raw fish. <laughs> I hate it. That's how it works. Yeah. You take away my spaghetti, my carbs, I don't like you anymore. Right. right. <laughs> what a bummer. What do you eat on the road? Carbs. That's it. <laughs> I mean, uh... I don't know if you guys are going to believe that, but I don't have the most strict diet. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I just wow. eat things. Yeah. It's, I just had a lovely chicken sandwich from across the street. It was nice. It's great. That's it. It's great. So far, that's, that's all I've eaten all day so far, so I'll let you know later. All right. Yeah. Please do. Please do. I was thinking about your Twitter activity just last night. I was going through your Twitter, and then I watched an interview with you when you kind of explained your philosophy on blocking people and responding to people who insult you. But I have to ask you, you know, you're smart enough to know that there's a high percentage of people just to block. Yeah, yeah. that are sending of you course. insults because they want to be, oh, I got Kevin and Owens to yeah. uh, get all fired up. And hey, that's fine if I make them feel... Sp- I've, I've been on Twitter a lot less lately, though, uh, and I know people have noticed, some people, I don't know if you guys did, whatever. <laughs> uh, I don't really enjoy Twitter anymore, I'll be perfectly honest, because... 
there's way too many morons out there. And I'm not talking about wrestling fans. I'm talking about in life. Like, various events have happened throughout the world that are really terrible. And then you read what people think about it. And uh, the only opinion you should have is that it sucks and it shouldn't happen. You don't need to tell other people why they're wrong for the way they think. And I just, at one point, I just had to get off. I just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. So I don't really go on there anymore. If anybody of you insulted me recently, sorry. I probably won't block <laughs> you anytime soon. Uh, but yeah, I've greatly reduced my Twitter activity for fault of idiots. So. Yeah. Bummer for all the people that were insulting hey, you. Yeah, what are you going to do? Yeah. I have to commend you, though. <laughs> Taking what you do best and using your voice as a, a platform with the raising of the funds on it was Indiegogo, right? Uh, it was GoFundMe. GoFundMe. Yeah. yeah. Is that that went very successful? It actually, uh, and I'm sure there's quite a few in this room actually that I can, and I'm glad you brought this up. So me and Tyler Breeze decided we want to do something for the people that were affected by the fires in Alberta because we're both Canadian, and my grandparents lost their house to a, a fire, you know, when I was a kid, and. Uh, Tyler's dad worked in that area. So we were both just kind of personally affected by it in a way or just personally touched by it. So we set out this campaign. We wanted to raise $30,000 in two weeks. We raised it in three days. We said we'd follow everyone who donated and we'd send videos to everyone who donated over a certain amount. A lot of people are still waiting for the follows and a lot of people are still waiting for the videos. And the reason for that is that the response was so incredible uh, that honestly we're just too busy to get around to it. Like we follow, we followed a whole bunch of people and there's somebody that was helping us out doing it. Um, and now that person's busy doing something else. So we're kind of doing it on our own when we can. Uh, we haven't sent any videos out yet, which I'm very ashamed of because I wish I could, we could have done it. And now it's even more complicated because we're on separate brands. But, uh, thank you to everybody who donated and, you know, people watching. I really, we both really appreciate it. Uh, we ended up donating 66,000 U.S. dollars to the Canadian wow. Red Cross, which I, I, in Canadian I think ended up being like 85 or something like that, which is amazing. I'm sorry if you haven't gotten your video. I'm sorry if we haven't followed you yet. It's all going to come. It might take a year. I don't know. But we're, we're going to get to it. Uh, I'm a man of my word, and I, I, I promise you're going to get what you expected. Thank and hopefully you. a lot of the donations were made because they actually wanted to help. I feel like... You know, 95% of the donations were made, and they probably don't care if I follow them back and, you know, read about what they ate that day or something. Right. But, like, and there's still people who, like, donated because they wanted it back. And that's fine. I respect that. They expect it. I have to do it, and I will do it. Uh, I'll get around to it, I promise. Did you have to when, – when you and Sammy started uh, on your, your, your battles inside the WWE, did you have to educate anybody as to what the history was, or did you come in and people – who are you know responsible for those decisions kind of know well they kind of knew because uh when i had my tryout uh you know you you have to cut this promo this one minute promo to the camera and the coaches and the people that are basically decide whether you get hired or not and uh mine was about sammy and i was lucky because william regal told me don't worry about going a minute just talk and i just spoke from the heart because at that point i had very particular feelings about him being in wwe and me not being there and it, uh, I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, honestly. Uh, I keep hearing these rumors of maybe a Kevin Owens DVD being made, which I, I you can't. But don't clap. Don't clap. Because it, it might not happen. But if that's the case, wait, everyone clap. Now they got to do it. But uh, if, if that ever comes to fruition, uh, you know, hopefully it'll end up on there. And that promo, 
one, I'm pretty sure got me hired right then and there on the spot. Because when I finished, I think I saw everybody there like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and then I think it just kind of opened people's minds. Oh, look what could happen. And then uh, it just kind of went from there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're, when you're going into something like the WrestleMania ladder match where you're, you're taking spots that are obviously in reference to what you did in Ring of Honor – with El Generico, obviously a different competitor altogether. But <laughs> um, is that something that kind of everybody's aware of and this is part of the story we're telling, or is that between you two? Um, I mean, I didn't choose to get slammed on that ladder at Money in the Bank or get <laughs> dropped on my head at WrestleMania. It's just That just dude's happened. just really influenced by El Generico and does the same <laughs> crap to me that that guy did, so I don't know. <laughs> kind of a hack. Yeah. <laughs> a cheap ripoff, if you ask me. Uh, were you surprised that, that I was surprised that the brand split happens, they keep you and Sammy together, I kind of felt like they might separate you, but they keep you together, but they do kind of put that story on hold for a while. Were you surprised that that story was put on hold when it was, or did you think now is a good time to kind of move on to other things for both of us? I mean, I think it's a good time to, you know, Battleground was promoted as a last, the last match for a while anyway, and I think it's fine that way. And, uh, you know, I, I, Sami Zayn and I bring the best out of each other, and we really do. And if you need proof, just watch Battleground. Uh, you know what I mean? And that's, you know, how many times can we do that? Uh, like, I don't know. Best other, of seven. Well, you know, I, we could, but, you know, the other guys need a chance, too. So you can't put us together all the time. Then There's nothing left not for fair. anybody else. It's not fair. I get you. I get you. Uh, how do you feel about the, the SummerSlam match? We haven't talked about SummerSlam at all. It's you and Jericho against uh, Enzo and Cass. Uh, do you like the idea of teaming with Jericho? It seems like you have very good chemistry. Yeah, I mean, we do. I... I uh, it just happens, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we, didn't, we never set out for that. We just kind of uh, did some stuff together leading up to Money in the Bank. And uh, I guess the, the logical way to go was to keep us together because people seem to enjoy the stuff. And, you know, opposite Enzo and Cass, I think that's an interesting dynamic. But the thing that I enjoy the most about it is that it's fresh and it's new. I've never, I never got to wrestle Enzo or Cass in NXT. I never did anything with them. So to get to be in the ring with them on the stage like SummerSlam is great to get the team with Chris Jericho, who I looked up to for the longest time. Uh, that's great too. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, I like fresh things. I think that's where the brand extension is. The most interesting part is so me and Dolph Ziggler have good matches, but we had like 10 in the span of two months. Me and Dean Ambrose were at each other's throat for about six months. Uh, and I enjoyed both of those, whatever you want to call them feuds, but now, if we ever meet back up, it might be two years down the road, and we're both different people in a way. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, so that's the best part for me of the Raw and SmackDown being, having separate rosters. Is just uh, it creates different opportunities and different matches, and um, that's why I'm excited to you know Enzo and Cass. Like I said, I haven't gotten the chance to be in the ring with them, and now we get to do it at SummerSlam in Brooklyn. So it's big right away, and that's pretty cool with Chris Jericho by my side. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, Enzo, it seems like it's very important in your career because it sounds like based on your other story, if it wasn't for Enzo, you might be wrestling in an awful thing. I know, so, I, the, only <laughs> so thing I, the only thing I can do to repay him is make him really famous at SummerSlam by just obliterating him, <laughs> yeah. you know, in front of his family and friends and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want, you know, your name that come, your name has come up twice, at least in my conversations with people. For a long time, it was coming up with Brock Lesnar. 
that that's a match that you're an obvious opponent that people want to see with Brock Lesnar. Lately, you know, with all this Conor McGregor stuff, your name keeps coming up as one of the guys who'd be a clear-cut decision if he were to come to WWE and do something. Is that something you're interested in? I guess either of those guys. Oh, I'll fight anybody. You will. I don't care, yeah. You will. Yeah, he could could come. That's cool. Uh, I'd love to get in the ring with Lesnar. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I'd love to. Uh, And Conor... Conor McGregor? Yeah, he yeah. could come to it. Sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah, whoever that is, right? Yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, did you have, when you lost the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania, was that, a thing, was that again something where you look at it as, okay, let's start this next thing, or were you like, oh, I was kind of on a roll with this thing? Well, I mean, uh, the Intercontinental title was something really special because when I was a kid and I, like, I had all the foam title, like the foam belts, the toy ones, uh, excuse me, the foam championship yes. titles. Uh, I really, you know, the Intercontinental title one is the one that I always win when I beat my pillow. Like, I, <laughs> well, that was the cool that, one. That yeah. like the, I don't know why, though. Yeah. It was just... That was the looked, wrestling fans that, title. But even when I was a kid, it just looked cool to me. Yeah. And then, uh, I, you know, it went through a weird couple of years where it looked not like that. It looked like this weird purple thing with the anyway the i didn't like southern belt buckle uh, and then cody rhodes brought back the classic design and then when he brought it back i was like man i i really want to make it to wwe to win it and then i did so that was special uh losing it the first time kind of sucked losing it the second time obviously sucked because i wish i could have uh made the title into a lot more uh you know th- than it was at the time i wish i could have done a lot more for it but then somebody brought out the stat that Owen Hart and I both had two reigns with the exact same amount of days, and wow. that's probably the coolest thing ever. So I don't ever want to win it again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all set. Good call. Speaking of Owen Hart, your son is named Owen, in tribute to Owen Hart. Obviously a big family guy. How has that changed, you know, going from everywhere, everything that you've done over the years to, to big now? Big family guy as in I look like Peter Griffin? or <laughs> that's... That's not That's cool. a little rude. Yeah, that wasn't nice. What's up, Sam? Yeah, we, right, should, but, we uh, should do. She said she was going to take shots, but I didn't know I this didn't early. <laughs> Close enough. Carry you know on. what I meant. Yeah. But how is it, I think she's asking, like, how has that, that changed with the WWE and way of life? And also doing the math, like, if you were 20 and you had the Stone Cold sheet, bed sheets, like, how did you and your wife meet? I'm, like, really curious. I didn't curious have the bed sheets. <laughs> the poster. Oh. She's not even listening. No. Oh. By the way, though, this is wrestling journalism. Every website tomorrow, Kevin Owens has Stone Cold bed sheets. This is the truth. Maybe a month before I uh, met my wife, or two months before I met my wife, I had to take down all the posters because my parents were renovating. So my wife never witnessed that, which is probably why I'm married and have kids now. Um, but she did get a taste of it when you were like, "I want to name my got to name my kid oh, after a wrestler." She's fully aware of. Yeah. I mean, she was fully aware of why the... I'm still single because I have the bed sheets. <laughs> yeah. I'm kidding. Uh, so uh, you know, it hasn't changed. Uh, like my family's at the hotel right now. I brought my my wife and my two kids, and they're just gonna stay in the hotel all week while I come back and forth doing this stuff. They're gonna come to SummerSlam. They, I brought them to WrestleMania. I bring them. I bring him anywhere. You know, if, uh, if I'm wrestling, for example, like I was wrestling in Boston not too long ago, and then the next day I was in Florida. Right. So everybody would do the show in Boston, then fly from Logan Airport to Orlando, or I think we were in Jacksonville. But I, what I did was I uh, brought my wife and the kids, because it's only a five-hour drive from Montreal. We spent a couple of days in Boston. I brought my son to the show. 
Then I drove back through the night to Montreal to drop them off so I could catch a flight Saturday morning from Montreal to Florida. Uh, and, you know, like, I don't know, some guys think that's a little crazy, I guess, to... Uh, I, I guess the guys who don't have kids think it's a little crazy for me to drive back six hours. But to me, it's completely worth it because we're on the road a lot. Obviously, we travel the world and we, you know, this gives us a great living. But I try to spend as much time as I can with them. And that's just my way of doing it. So it's, uh, I, I found ways to make it work. Yeah, you know? yeah. Do you, ever, do you ever regret making them as public as you've made them? Not that you've, you haven't, you know, brought them out, but they are part of the storylines. Uh, and... Well, they're not really part of the storylines. I'll mention my son, like, with the Cena thing, because that's, that's genuine. And I think a lot of things that has worked for me throughout the years is that I, I'm pretty genuine. And, yeah. uh, you know, I got to NXT and Dusty Rhodes. Um, I didn't know Dusty at all at the time. And Dusty sat me down and just turned on the camera and just started talking to me. And the first thing I talked about was my family because they are who I am. So, But I, I will say I kind of do regret that they're so public because, like I said, there's a lot of idiots out there. And there's some people that make comments that are just just absolutely despicable. And right. the reason they do that is because they want this right now. What I'm saying, somebody at home is going like, yes, I got him. <laughs> Get a job or something, dude. Right. But, uh, you know, so in a way I do regret it. But I, it wouldn't have... I, like, I don't think it would have been possible for me not to have them everywhere. It would have been phony. Yeah, because, like it wouldn't you know, have been I, I was in, when, I, when I had, you know, 3,000 followers on Twitter, what I would talk about was my son and my wife. Right. Now I have, like, 600,000, but that's, I'm still the same guy, so I, I can't help it. humble brag. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, a little bit. I wasn't trying to be humble about it. <laughs> How has it changed for you having a little girl? Uh, it, I was really terrified, but my wife really wanted a girl. She needed a girl, so I was really praying the second one would be a girl because I didn't want her to just be... Not, not that she would have been upset. She would have loved having another boy, but she just needed a girl. So uh, when we got her, I was terrified just for the, everybody who's got a girl here probably the same reason. Or even if you don't have a little girl, you probably imagine why you'd be terrified because the world is kind of a crazy place. And I don't know. You just automatically assume that uh, a little girl, you know, you need to protect her. You need to this and that. But then, uh, you know... Uh, I see who she is already, and she's two. Wow. And she kicks my ass. So I think she'll be fine, and it's a blast to see her grow up, and it's a blast to see her relationship with her brother, and uh, it's, it's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Does having kids make you, like, because one of the things that struck me as we're talking is that, like, you were that, you know, 20-year-old that had stone-cold pictures. Way too, and by the way, I'm 32, and if you go into my apartment, the first thing you see is a shelf, and it's not all the wrestling toys from when I was a kid. It's a Kevin Owens wrestling toy and a Finn Balor. Like, they're all there. I'm buying them now. So that thing. <laughs> I'd still buy them, but they give them to me for free. So I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so you understand. Um, but, like, that, that sort of fanboy that was in you, it doesn't seem like it ever left. Oh, no. I mean, no, not at all. I have a Finn ba- I was drinking milk out of, out of a Finn Balor glass yesterday. <laughs> I took a picture. It's on my phone. So you're like, yeah. so no. Like, oh, they make Finn Balor glass? No, I, got, I need one of the Finn Balor glasses yeah, too. I have, a, I have a John Cena glass, a Finn Balor glass, and a Kevin Owens glass. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, but they're there, and I use them all the time. How does, that con- how does that conversation go? Do they go like, here, we're making glasses with your logo if you want one, and then do you go, can I oh, also wait, have the... That's the part. that The best is I, they didn't give me the glasses because there's some of the stuff, some of the merchandise... That's easier for them to give us than others because, you know, like, 
The glasses are only available on, on, on www.shop.com, so you have to... It's a different process. Anyway, right. I went to the Montreal Comic Con, <laughs> where everybody knew who I was. Sure. And they saw me buy the John Cena glass <laughs> and the Finn Balor glass. <laughs> and the woman at the thing was like, oh, we, I'm sorry, we sold out of yours yesterday. I'm like, I'm good with those too, thank you. <laughs> so I, I put money down. Right. The, again, them. it was a choice I made. Right, yes, right. Yes. And John Cena is looking at his royalties and going, thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that. I never considered that part. He <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can't see me, but he can see my money on his check, so we're good. Do you, have a, do you have a favorite piece of memorabilia that you've collected over the years? Um, I guess it's not exactly something I collected, but uh, the day Dusty Rhodes passed away, we had a show in NXT. Uh, I don't remember exactly where we were that night, um, but I or we might have been Philly. I drew uh, polka dots on the KO that I uh, that was the shirt like that that I guy has, that. and I drew polka dots on it, and I kept that shirt, and then I did it again this year because I wrestled on the anniversary of Dusty's passing as well, and I, do the, I did the same thing, and uh, I, I've kept those shirts. You know, some of the shirts I, 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 I give to WWE for the WWE auction, and I sign them, and people can buy them, and I've given some to, like, uh, you know, charities to auction off, but those two I, I just I, I don't think I'll ever be able to part with just because, I don't know, Dusty meant a lot to me just like he meant a lot to everybody who uh, worked with him. So it's, it's pretty remarkable that you had just said that you didn't know Dusty at I knew, all. I knew Dusty for 10 months, and uh, he made more, like, I, in those 10 months, he made a bigger impact on me than anyone has in my career. And, I've, you know, there's people I've known for 15 years, and I'm not saying they didn't help me. They have. But nobody made an impact on me like Dusty did, and I knew him for 10 months. How did he make the impact? Like, what was it that? Um, well, so, you know, he'd run promo class at the Performance Center. So there was that. Just his advice and just the insight he gives on how to talk and how to communicate and how to make people feel what you want them to feel. But honestly, just as a guy, it's hard to put into words, you know. Um, like, I'd go sit in his office and we'd just talk about wrestling and family and life. But I, I, I would just walk out of that office feeling like I know so much more about wrestling and life. Um, yeah, he's, it's really hard to describe, but he was a really unique guy and uh, I miss him a lot. Everybody does. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't go by mistake, right? The fact that everybody has this reaction and nobody has an unkind word. Uh, who, are, who are some of the other big influences in your career? Obviously, you know, not we, on that We should level. ask them, too, on the memorabilia side. When you signed with WWE, did you go to, like, a room where you got to pick anything out? So that guy in the front row no. said there's a merchandise room. And you mean in, like, the offices or uh, whatever? The I don't know. The, he the knows. headquarters? There's I've this, heard, like, secret room where I've you, heard like, this, sign. I've heard this legend, but I've never been there, so I, I, I've never witnessed it myself. Because you clean them out. So yeah. who, 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 uh, who else? Uh, well, obviously, Steve Austin was a huge influence. My first, so my first favorite wrestler, which means the first wrestler I saw appear on a screen when I first watched my first wrestling show, was the British Bulldog. And I was always a British Bulldog fan afterwards. Wow. But then a couple hours later, I saw Shawn Michaels wrestle <laughs> Diesel at WrestleMania 11, and that was it. I saw Shawn Michaels. At, at the time, believe it or not, I was a pretty scrawny kid. I was 11 <laughs> years old, and I thought, if that small guy can do that and wrestle with the dude who's seven foot tall, and you can't teach that, then so can I. <laughs> you know? And that's... Shawn Michaels is basically the reason why I decided I was going to be a wrestler. My dad then... 
like my, my dad had rented the tape, you know, he, he just, he was watching it for himself and I happened to come in and watch it with him. When he saw my interest, my parents uh, started cultivating it. And, you know, when I told them I wanted to be a wrestler, they didn't say, oh, that's cute. Now just go be serious somewhere else. They were just, okay, so we'll do that. And then they pushed me towards it. They embraced it. Uh, and how old were you when you started training? Because that's an important... I started training when I was 14. Right. So most of the time, a kid who's training at 14 has to trick their parents into letting no, him... No, they were more than... They, my mom like put me in touch with somebody at her work who knew a local guy who was a wrestler and had a wrestling school. Like They, they, did, they made it happen. You right. know? Uh, so you know, like people ask me who my biggest influences were in wrestling. I say Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels... My parents, because without them, I wouldn't have gotten anywhere and, you know, without them pushing me for it. And then there's Steve Carino, who I met. uh, Oh, man. I think it was in 2004. We had a match uh, in Quebec City and he kind of took me under his wing right away. Then we lost track of each other throughout the years. But then in 2009, uh, he came to Ring of Honor where I was and we picked things right back up where we had left off. And, uh, you know, uh, he's been a mentor and uh, one of my best friends ever since. At what point in your career did you d- establish the confidence of knowing that you're good? Because you don't get to do, you know, all joking aside, you can't pull off the performance that you pull off every single night without you knowing that you're good. I honestly, the first time I felt like, okay, now I know I'm good was maybe 2011. Really? Yeah, I've been doing this for 11 years. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel like I'm much better now than I was then. It's just, uh, but I think a part of, part of that, like it took me 11 years to feel like I was good, is probably part of why I'm here now too, because I never stopped trying to get better, not that I have, I, you know, I'm still, I still uh, seek the same thing, I always want to get better, and I always try to get better, but uh, I guess not feeling that you're good, but it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, because I think it's important also to have confidence in yourself when you're in the ring, because if you don't, I think people watching can tell so for 11 years i've been walking around like i'm scared and i'm not supposed to be here then i wouldn't be here right so i knew you know i knew i was doing some things right and i i knew i belonged in a, in a ring but i i think it took like till 2011 to really feel like okay i i really know what i'm doing now so yeah we heard anderson and gallows talk about how they the first time they were came out for wwe they actually got those nervous butterflies a little bit again anywhere now do you still get those and still get excited by that feeling Oh, all the time. I mean, I think a part of why Anderson and Gallows got those butterflies were because they were, like, about to attack the Usos wearing, like, dress pants and a dress shirt, (laughs) which I never had to do, thankfully. But uh, there's, like, I was 11 years old when I first saw my first WWE show, and I told myself I have to wrestle for WWE. And it took me uh, 20 years to get there. That's a long time. And throughout those 20 years, I never doubted myself. But at the same time, I did, it didn't consider, I did consider, like, maybe it's not going to happen, you know? Right, because you're watching so, your peers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that it's happening now and, you know, WrestleMania was obviously, obviously something I'll never forget. But so was a show in Louisville, Kentucky a few months ago. Because every time I step in a WWE ring, to me, it's like, it's so cliche, right? A dream come true. But there's really no other way to put it. Right. That it is what it is, you know? And uh, I don't think I'll ever lose that. Do you like doing commentary? Because I feel oh, I like love it. you I do. Love it. Yeah. Because, I mean, <laughs> you know, all I have to do is mention it. And I think that you use it as a tool better than a lot of people. Because I think, and I've talked about this before, I think when they allow 
one of you guys to do commentary, you've now got a live mic for sometimes 5, 10, 15, even longer minutes. Uh, yeah, you're probably talking for longer than you would be at any point where they hand you a microphone to go, okay, you have a microphone in the ring, but... You know, you got two minutes to make your point. I'm right. sitting there for the entire length of a match. Right. And uh, on it, but you know, I, I never go out there with the with a set goal. I just want to have fun, uh, which is part of why you know, I, it's part of what I do. I a lot of times I go out to the ring for a match. I just want to have fun. It's the same mindset when I do commentary. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel that stuff is contagious. If you're having a good time, people can tell, and I think people start having a good time. Uh, but commentary is wonderful, and uh, it's definitely you know. I've been asked before, is it something that, you know, once it's time to, to stop wrestling, is it something you'd be into? Obviously, I mean, I'm already uh, thinking about it, and hopefully uh, it's something that's going to happen at some point. Yeah, you wouldn't mind that, right? Everybody, yeah. <laughs> Come on. That was weak. That was weak. I guess I won't do it then. <laughs> when you, before you got to WWE, even a few years before, the generation that's there now, all of you guys we're on the indies together. I'm talking about you and, and Rollins and Cesaro and, you know, Daniel Bryan, who's retired now, but everybody, Punk for a little while. Did you all realize or even think that all of you would be there? Or Because when you guys were all on the indies, WWE was this thing that looked very, very different from what you were doing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't think that we ever talked about it, but I think everyone knew we'd end up there. Like, I never, I can't pinpoint a moment where I ever sat with, Rollins and Daniel Bryan and say, hey, we're going to be in WWE in a couple of years. But I think everybody had their own path. Everybody had their own goal. And uh, everybody's just busy trying to make it on their own in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I knew what I had to do if I wanted to get here. I'm sure Rollins knew. You know, everybody had their own way of, of looking at things. But I think ultimately we all had the, the same end goal. Uh, but, you know, it, it's not lost on any of us that now we're all here. And, you know, we're pretty much all at the top, like we're all, a lot of, like we're all main eventing, we're all having these matches, we're all, you know, a focal part of Raw or SmackDown, and that's, uh, that part, you know, beyond being in WWE, that part that we're all doing so well is even more, uh, uh, even more fulfilling, you know, that right. not only do we make it, but we're all doing well here. Have you ever uh, felt bad about lip r ripping a little kid's sign? Like, never, is, has there never, ever been? Not once. I never. feel great. It's you a do. great feeling. You yes. do. Yeah. Like, there's never been the thing where, okay, no, I'll wait till the cameras are off never. and I'll go apologize. I even had one, and it wasn't a little kid. He was like 22, <laughs> at least. Yeah, I was wrestling AJ Styles, and he had an AJ Styles sign, so I went to get it. And before I ripped it, he begged me, like, please, no, look on the other side. I'm like, oh, must be a Kevin Owens sign. Uh -huh. I turn it, it's a Roman Reigns sign. <laughs> <laughs> so I ripped it like five times. He's begging you, don't no, do please, <laughs> don't do it to Roman. <laughs> I don't know. He's, he's putting conditioners in here somewhere. He don't even know. Don't worry about it. How did you say, no, Roman needs this one. He needs it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think so. So, yeah. I don't think so. I, I feel like you bring the art of bad guy wrestling back. I've, a, a lot of times, people have been so concerned with kind of still being likable. Like, I'll be the villain, but I kind of still want to be likable. And then you come across, and not only do you, you know, insult people, but you perform, as we were talking about, in the ring, specifically being like, okay, I know what they want here. So I'm going to give them the complete opposite. You know, I can't say that I do that. I, I, I love that you're showering me with this you don't credit. Do that. I don't. So you don't wind Honestly, up. Honestly, like I just a, do. 
I just do what I like. Because I've seen you run at somebody as if something spectacular is coming, and then you just kind of stop and put a headlock on. Yeah, because that's what I feel like doing. I don't <laughs> not necessarily do it for the guy who really wanted to see a flip. I'm just, you know what I mean? You're, so, just, you're just there for that. I, I just do what I like. I do what entertains me. Right. If it doesn't entertain others, then, I don't know, too bad, I guess. Right. You know, I honestly, I, uh, in a weird way, I'm my main audience and i i know it's it goes completely against what i'm supposed to be working for but i do things that i think i'd find entertaining and then it trickles down and it's by not the way, and by the way i'm not everybody's cup of tea i hope you realize <laughs> I, some people really don't like what i do and that's fine <laughs> right because i love what i do. No, i'm no i'm aware i read the uh the internet as it were so i know that there are those people out there but i think it's okay that you go out to satisfy yourself because you're also the 20 year old that has a room full of stone cold pictures so it's not like you're uh, apart from the product. You know what I mean? No. Like, you know, I'm not uh, – I don't know. I don't know. Expl- I, I obviously, I know what I do works. Right. And if it didn't work, I would adjust myself to make sure that I still have a job and food for the kids that eat all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, what I'm doing works, and I enjoy what I'm doing. That's the mindset I have. Well, we all enjoy it too. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to do some Q&A. Are we happy about that? All right. All right. Cool. I have to ease into this chair like an old man in a hot <laughs> bath because I'm just worried it's going to... You're just watching your SummerSlam and match go I away. I try not to move. Uh, well, why don't we... Kevin Owens is here still. But, but I didn't mean he's still here. I mean he's, he's being still as tonight. I'm also still here. But so you're still here. on so many levels. It does. It does. And Katie Linendahl is here. Uh, still. Still. Why don't we uh, uh, get Kathy Kelly who is still here as well. To get that microphone out, get your hands up if you want to ask Kevin Owens a question, and we'll do some Q&A. Kathy, who do you got over there? How you doing? My name is Luis Portillo, born in Mexico, raised in Queens. Okay. Um, my question Social is... Social security number, please. <laughs> it's fake. I can't talk about that. I didn't hear. Just it's... ask your question. Sure, sure. Um... I already know so much about you. I feel like we've... Yeah. Uh... It's obvious that a, a dream match is Kevin Owens versus Brock Lesnar. Um, I've seen you use the F5 in the independence, for example, one against Jimmy Jacobs, which was pretty brutal. Um, if you use the F5 against Brock, how would you feel and how would you think he would feel taking it? I'd feel great till he stands right back up and rips my head off, I think. <laughs> <laughs> then you'd feel, feel like, pain. I have five Who's next? Who's next? Let's go to uh, this person. Hello, I'm, I'm Vince from Queens. Oh, what's um, going on? Kevin, you're, you're my wife's favorite wrestler. Um, now, last time you were on Sam Roberts' show, you mentioned how much you love going to the zoo, and I just want to know, <laughs> what is your spirit animal? You know, I've been asked that before, and I don't understand what that means. Does it? But I guess my favorite animal is a panda, so that's, yeah. Because they're adorable and vicious. They're adorable, but they can rip your face off yeah. in one fell swoop. That's it. It's wonderful. That's it. Who do we got? Hey, this is Zach from uh, Oceanside, New York. Okay, so could you see yourself being a Paul Hammond guy? In a way, I feel like I am a Paul Heyman guy in the sense that Paul Heyman appreciates... Uh, wrestlers who've been through it all and have grinded to get there and I know I've had conversations with Paul and I know he likes what I do 
but as far as on WWE TV, I really feel like there's only one Paul Heyman guy. He already has him. His name's Brock. Paul, uh, you know, Paul works for Brock. And I also don't think I necessarily need somebody to speak for me. Not that Brock does, as we saw on Monday when he told Heath Slater that he <laughs> couldn't care less about his kids. That's what he said? It, I mean, that's what I heard. Ah, uh, so, paraphrasing. But yeah, you know, I, like in a way, I think there's a lot of Paul Heyman guys out there. Like there's guys that Paul Heyman appreciates, and I'm sure he'd gladly help us all out if he could. You know what I mean? But I don't necessarily think that I need somebody uh, on that level on, on television. I think that's right. Who do we got? We got Matt from Staten Island. Hi. I was just wondering if you have any opinions on the reemergence of John Zandig and if you have any good Zandig stories from CZW. That's a great question. Uh, well, I'm glad he's back. If only for just, I, I, you know, I don't get to watch uh, much wrestling outside of WWE, um, but I'll see, you know, on Twitter once in a while, I'll see a little John Zandig. Is it a GIF or a GIF? It's a GIF. Some people say it's a GIF. That's a peanut butter brand. Once in a while, I see a little John Zandig clip. <laughs> and I'm always entertained by it. As far as good stories, I honestly have too many, none of which I can really tell here. Uh, but he's a, he's a character. If you don't know who John Zandig is, please Google him and enjoy. Yes. Yes, very much. We got Jaden over here. Javen? Jaden. Jaden. What is your favorite match in your career? Oh. Uh, I guess my favorite, like there's so many, but I guess my favorite one would be uh, against CJ Parker at NXT. It was my first match in WWE, and the reason why it's my favorite is because, one, I, I've grown to love CJ Parker. He's one of my favorite people on earth, and, you know, he's not in WWE anymore. He's out there. He's in Japan doing his thing, and he's doing great, so that's a part of it, but also it was my first WWE match, which is something I'd waited for, you know, for 20 years, so it's always going to be special, and, you know, like I said, I've had a lot that I really liked, but I think that's the one that takes the cake. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I'm Jimmy from Long Island. Uh, what's your thoughts on the final deletion? Ah, <laughs> oh, the Matt Hardy's final deletion. I thought it was really fascinating, really interesting, really creative. The most, uh, the most memorable part for me isn't anything that happened that people would even remember. But at the very end, the Jeff Hardy symbol gets lit up on fire. He falls off the top of that thing onto a mound of dirt, but you don't see it. You don't notice it. <laughs> And I think that's the craziest thing about it. It's probably the craziest thing that happens beyond them shooting fireworks at each other or anything. The craziest part is him falling off a 12-foot symbol onto a mound of dirt, and nobody noticed. <laughs> How do you feel about Senor Benjamin? Uh, that's the gardener guy. You know, I don't care for him. Good. He's got an attitude. Good. I like that you have a definite opinion. You know, you're like, let me think. Yeah, no, I don't like him. I don't like him at all. Where are you, Kathy? I'm over here. We got uh, Isaiah from Brooklyn. How you doing, Kevin? Um, Good. How are you, buddy? With Next. Adam. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know your thoughts with Adam Cole in the Bullet Club now. Do you secretly like fantasize about a reunion of Rushmore? Um. Well. I'd love for Adam Cole to come here. And I feel like there's no way he won't at some point. He won't. Um, but I don't worry. Like, 
I guess in a way, you know, wrestling with each other in the same company is one thing, but I'm still friends with all those guys. We still talk all the time. So it's not really a reunion because we're still, you see what I mean? But of course, I'd love to see any, any of those guys here for sure. That got Sean sense. from Brooklyn. What was it like meeting Vince for the first time? <laughs> Vince for the first time. Uh, it was surreal, but, you know, I met him a couple times and just shook his hand high and by, so those meetings weren't particularly memorable besides the fact that I just shook Vince McMahon's hand. The first real interaction I had with him, though, was the night I showed up on Raw uh, to confront Cena. I went into his office to talk to him a little, and he didn't want anybody to know. So he told me, don't tell anybody what you're doing, just do it. I'm like, okay, you want me to be in gear? Yep. Well, when I put my gear on and I walk in the hallway, the guys are going to ask me what he, why. So what do I say? And he goes, you mean the other wrestlers? I'm like, yeah, that's right. And he goes, well, why don't you just tell them to go f- themselves? <laughs> and you know what? I did, and it totally worked. So, so that was... I mean, it was great. Like, I, you can't have a better first interaction with Vince McMahon than that. You know, that's amazing. Was and that the beginning of a good relationship? Like, absolutely. is he a Kevin Owens guy? I don't know if he was, was from the start, and I don't know if he is now. But I think, uh, you know, I talked to him, and I, I think we do have a good relationship, and uh, I think he knows I'm good, and hey. that's the best I can ask for. So. That's all you need. Who do we got, Kathy? We've got Remy back here. Uh, big Owens, I'm a big Kevin Owens fan, and I want to know... What advice would you have for a person like myself that wants to get in the wrestling business? Uh, well, it's going to sound like a John Cena t-shirt, but it's very true. Uh, I was told so many times I couldn't do it. Not like, uh, like the, you know, I don't know how many wrestlers have told, oh, my teachers would say this, this and that. I've been told by people in wrestling, you can't do that. And I did. So just don't let anybody tell you you can't. And never give up. <laughs> that was like John Cena meets Bob Backlund a little bit too. What's that? It's John Cena meets Bob Backlund. Is it? It's a little Bob Backlund in there. Uh, you, you met Bob Backlund? I have. I spent some time with him. Right. <laughs> Hard work pays off, right? That's right. <laughs> um, hi, I'm Jason from Yonkers, New York. I was wondering, out of everybody on the roster, who would you? Pop a powerbomb onto the apron the most. Who deserves it the most? (laughs) We're going to, again, I'm going to defer this question probably to Kevin. And we'll just listen. Hang on. Right. So many good choices. <laughs> well, it's a lot less possible now because we're not on the same uh, brand. But I would have loved to do that to Shane McMahon so that it leads to a match eventually. Now, is that the kid in you talking again? Like you grew up with these oh, Shane yeah. McMahon matches I mean, and you yeah, want that I, experience? I would see Shane have his, these crazy matches when he's not even a wrestler, you know, technically. And uh, I always thought, man, we'd have, even when I was like 16 and I 
didn't know what a killer match was. Really, I thought we'd have a killer match, and now I know we'd have a killer match. So, do you have yeah. a favorite chain moment? Well, his match against Kurt Angle at King of the Ring was just so I don't know. Man. That whole match is just crazy. So yeah. I don't know yeah. if it's one moment, but that match in, in particular. Was, All the moments in that one that's are tied it, for first. Yeah. Ball up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who do we got, Kathy? We've got Will from New Jersey. Hey, Kevin. Good to see you again. Uh, I just wanted to know, since it's SummerSlam themed, uh, what's your favorite SummerSlam of all time? I like that. Okay, I can't tell you the year, but uh, my favorite SummerSlam match is Landstorm versus Edge. I think it might have been 2001. I don't know, 2002 maybe. I don't remember 2001. They just had this incredible match, and it was so underrated in my opinion, and I wrestled Landstorm several years ago. And I told him, like, man, that match with Edge from SummerSlam is probably one of my favorite matches of all time. So uh, whatever SummerSlam that is. I love that. We've got Andrew from Queens. Hey, Kevin, just wondering, um, when you came into the WWE, did you feel like you had a chip on your shoulder? Like you said, like uh, people didn't really believe on you or believe in you, maybe because you didn't fit the uh, prototype of, like, the big guy or, like, maybe one of the cruiserweights. Do you still feel like you have that chip on your shoulder with all you accomplished? I, I got to say, I don't think I ever really had it. Because to me, when those people would tell me that, I would be like, nah, well, you're wrong. That's okay. It's okay to be wrong. As long as I end up being right. And I was right. So right. I, I never, like, of course, I, you know, I wanted to prove those people wrong. But it never really bothered me enough that that was my motivation itself. You know what I mean? I don't know if you've heard about it. I mean, speaking of naysayers, and I don't even know if you want his name mentioned, but... I've spoken to Jim Cornette, and he told me that one of the reasons is because you finally started listening to the things that he was so saying. So let's, let's, let's take a look at that. Yeah. He yeah. did say that. I know he said that. He did. He said it to me. Jim used to not like that I wrestled in a T-shirt and shorts, that I was not jacked, and that I had a beard, <laughs> and that I basically did whatever I wanted. <laughs> I don't think I've changed at all. <laughs> and that's okay. You know why? Because... If Jim Cornette is not right, then he feels like, I don't know, he, feel, he just feels unwell. So you know what, Jim? Dude, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's next up there, Kathy? We've got Nick from Brooklyn. Do you remember where you were when Foley went off the cage, and what was your reaction? Yeah, I was in, uh, my, par- my parents and I had just moved from our apartment to my grandmother's house because their house had burned down, they had just rebuilt it, and... My grandparents just didn't want to live by themselves anymore, so my entire family moved in with them. And by that point, the apartment was completely empty except for one mattress and one TV because that's where we still had cable. Uh, so it was me and a couple of my friends in that empty apartment in the living room. Uh, and I think I was on the, on the phone with my dad when it happened. I just started screaming like a maniac. He hung up on me. So. <laughs> No spoiler. There it is. Somebody with... Hi, my name is George, and I'm from Brooklyn. How would you... How do you feel about the name of the WWE Universal Championship, and how would you want it to look? That is the one you'd be fighting for, as you're a raw guy. Um, I thought the name was weird at first, but it's really grown on me. I I kind of figured they would just call it WWE Heavyweight Championship, but at the same time, that doesn't really... You know, like, heavyweight, it's, it's... Anybody can win that title, so heavyweight just doesn't fit. Universal kind of embodies that. So at first, I did think it sounded a little weird, but it's grown on me quite a bit now. As far as how it'll look, I have no idea. I don't know what it... If you're asking me what I would like it to look like, I think a nice... First of all, I think I'd make it silver for some reason, just to maybe be different. 
And then nice silver plate with like my face in jewels. So So kind of like a nickel, but with your face on it. Sure. Yeah, that could work. I mean, the tag titles look like giant pennies with two knights. (laughs) So that, but silver, and instead of two dudes with helmets, it's just both faces are me looking in separate directions. (laughs) Different directions. The all-watching Kevin Owens. Who do we got over there, Kathy? We've got Eddie from Harlem. Eddie. What's up, Kev? Big fan. Um, I got to ask this question on behalf of Sam, because I feel like he's not going to ask it. Um, since you're teaming with Chris Jericho this Sunday, <laughs> could, you, could you let him know that Broken Matt Hardy was on the Sam, Wrestling, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast before he was on Chris Jericho's podcast? No, I'm not going to let him know that. <laughs> could you ask him why he blocked me? Nah. He blocked me, too. <laughs> Uh, who's next over there, Kathy? It may come up in conversation, though, right? I don't think so. Don't, uh, <laughs> we really just talk about his scarf, so. <laughs> uh, hi, uh, my name's Christopher I'm from Queens. Um, I was just curious, is there a piece of advice from Dusty that kind of comes back to you from time to time or that you go back to? A specific piece of advice from Dusty. Okay, so this is an advice. But for some reason, it stuck with me, and it just embodied how he, like, the attitude he had that day kind of made me realize that it's okay for me to be me. It's very strange, but I'll try to explain. So there was this thing, and I don't know how they are now anymore. I don't think they're like this anymore, but they would do, ooh, cool ringer. Uh, <laughs> we, they would be show like, we would put on little shows at the Performance Center where they would have a couple matches, and the only audience was the wrestlers and the coaches. And it was just to give some of the guys experience that they not necessarily have yet. Um, but when, uh, when it wasn't Matt Bloom that was in charge, they would make us set up the guardrails as if it was an actual show, and there was fans to be held back, <laughs> which was just work for no reason. Like, <laughs> but it was just to give us something to do, I guess. And uh, on one of those particular afternoons, Dusty wouldn't usually attend those shows, but that day he decided to attend. So I pretended like I put on a guardrail, and then I just went to sit down next to Dusty, and we just started talking as everybody's sending this stuff up. I was like, what are they doing? I'm like, oh, well, we, basically we act like it's an actual NXT show. It's like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, they even sing the national anthem. He's like, no way. I'm like, I'm telling you. He's like, I don't believe you. I'm like, okay. So whatever. Finally, everything gets set up. Like, okay, everybody go take their spot. So I just go sit in the crowd on the other side of where Dusty is. Dusty's by the the coach's desk or whatever. And sure enough, uh, the ring announcer walks in and says, everyone, please rise for the national anthem. (laughs) So I stand up and I look across at Dusty who's standing up. Like, at first he's on his phone, so he's not paying attention. And then he hears the music, and he, I see him. And he looks, and he sees everybody standing up, so he just stands up, looks at me, goes, and then, uh, I don't know. That moment, to me, was just like, even Dusty thinks this is ridiculous. It's okay for us to think it's ridiculous. And it's okay for, I don't, you see what I mean? It just... I saw him being him all the time. And of course he was Dusty Rose, so he could be him all the time. But I don't know. That's, I think that's why he got to where he got without being what every other professional wrestler was. So I kind of took a lot of that example because I'm not what other professional wrestlers are either. You see what I mean? So that was a really long story, but his advice was 
<laughs> we got time for two more. Um, hey, Harry from Brooklyn. This could kind of be a controversial question, but there have been comparisons. <laughs> uh, you've been compared. Wait, oh, wait, wait. Oh, okay. just tell me in my ear first, and I'll tell you if it's okay. <laughs> Go right ahead. He has permission. <laughs> All right, so um, the, the time that you got into the biz, I mean, into WWE, there's been a lot of comparisons between you and your career with CM Punk. Whoa. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so what are your thoughts on uh, Punk's whole WWE career and what he's up to right now? So, I mean, I don't know what he's up to right now. I know what he's supposed to be doing, and I hope, I wish him all the best. But here's what I'd like you to do. If you ever see CM Punk, ask him what he thinks of my accomplishments. <laughs> All right. I love that. Sean from PA. Uh, how do you feel about part-timers being exempt from the wellness policy? You're going to have to repeat that. I didn't understand. How do you feel about part-timers being exempt from the wellness policy? Oh, I, that's none of my business. I don't care. I get tested, and the only thing I test for is pizza, and I'm fine, and I'm doing great. So. <laughs> All right, we'll do one more. This will be the last one. Uh, hi, my name's Christian. Uh, simple question. Are you still in contact with El Generico? No, he died. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Wait, 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 wait. Can we get this kid real quick? Oh, sure, yeah. A little kid in the... Uh, Take your time. In the Tina brochure. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brandon from New Jersey. What's up, buddy? I was just wondering um, why you hate Michael Cole so much. <laughs> he had a great question. So. I can't answer that because I kind of don't know. But I will say that I think Michael Cole is a fantastic commentator when you put it next to Byron Saxton. Here is Sam Roberts. A guy like Kevin Owens is a dream guest. Thanks for listening to that. Thanks for everybody that showed up once again, and I'm glad I was able to share that. Uh, with those of you that weren't able to be there. The whole event will be up on YouTube. I've seen the video. Uh, my editor is putting the finishing touches on it. But I've seen the footage that he got. I'm super, super happy with it. Uh, and I think all of you will be as well. We're going to upload the entire three-hour show onto YouTube. So it's going to be very fun uh, for everybody to check that out. Uh, and, of course, Gallows and Anderson will be on the podcast next week. So you can all be very, very excited for that. In the meantime, you know, you heard Kevin Owens saying he doesn't pay attention too much to his diet. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't is because it's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's almost as difficult as figuring out the difference between the word dessert and desert. Hint, hint, for those of you listening regularly. But it is very, very difficult. It's, 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 it's difficult to figure out not only what to eat, but how to eat it, where to get it and how to do it affordably. Not all ingredients are created equal. We all know this. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better, but they're also better for you. So it's important to know exactly where your food comes from. That's why 
Blue Apron is such an amazing service. I love it because I'm a fast food guy. I don't like to think about food. You know, I don't. I, I like it to just be like, okay, I know what I can get. I can go through a drive-thru. I can go through whatever I want, but it's poison. It's poison, all these drive-thrus. Blue Apron makes it easy. They can get, they come right, they bring it right to you. They give you the ingredients. They give it, the, it's, it's measured out in the, in the sizes that you need. They give you the recipes. It's perfect. And the people in your life are actually going to think you have this great cooking ability. I mean, they get seafood that's sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. They go through 150 local farms, fisheries, and ranchers across the United States. They have humanely raised beef. They got free-range chicken. Uh, 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 they, they, they deliver to 99% of the continental United States and 99.5% of food deserts. Because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they're also reducing food waste. You save money as well because you're not going out and spending all your money on, on, on uh, meals. You don't have to anymore. You don't have to take the whole family out on this uh, to, to some five-star restaurant to get a good meal. Now you can make it yourself. Uh, for less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Uh, they know that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals, and that's the whole point. They raise the standards, the quality through the roof. Some of the meals available in August, you can get spiced pork burgers with goat cheese and cucumber corn salad, say magnifique. You can get chicken tinga tacos with summer squash and tomato salsa and a whole lot more. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Roberts. That's right. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is helping you eat for free by going to blueapron.com slash Roberts. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash Roberts. Blue Apron, a better way to cook, and what a great deal. Hey, we got to get into uh, everything going on in this world of pro wrestling because it's been amazing. Up until last night, that's why I'm so glad that I moved the podcast back a day. I'm so glad that the podcast comes out on Thursday now, because if it came out on Wednesday, I was watching Talking Smack last night at like, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, catching up on what I had missed, and if I had missed it, I wouldn't have been able to talk about probably my favorite thing to happen in wrestling all week, and that might include all of SummerSlam weekend. So we're going to talk about that, but first, oh, and we'll also talk about the big Brock Lesnar interview. I should probably talk about that right now. Um... If you haven't seen it, go on YouTube and check it out. WWE 2K17 threw a massive press event, a party, during SummerSlam weekend. Um, And I got the opportunity to interview Brock Lesnar. I wasn't even going to do interviews, but 2K just rolled out the red carpet, made it so easy. That's why you'll see. They, They just do so well for all us media types. People were going. Nakamura was there. Uh, Enzo and Cass were there hanging out. My buddy Wale was there hanging out. Miz and Maurice were both there. Uh, so many people. Goldberg was there. But Brock Lesnar, of all people, showed up and was actually doing interviews. So I had to take advantage of it. I was like, there's no way I'm not going to interview this guy. I didn't have my equipment. 
So I brought my iPhone, and I had my wife video the thing on her iPhone. And I got to ask Brock Lesnar, what's the haps? I feel like I was almost uh, invited to join Suplex City at that point. Look up the interview for yourself on my YouTube channel or go to notsam.com and find it. Uh, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Not Sam, so you won't miss any of this stuff. But that interview went everywhere. I'm talking New York Post. I'm talking Washington Post, Complex, Bleacher Report, everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, and it's good. You know why? Because Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast is brought to you by WWE 2K17. Get ready to be taken to Suplex City. I was almost there. Now you can get there. Uh, and 2K17 is bringing you there. WWE 2K17 is back once again as the defending champion of WWE video games with its cover superstar, Brock Lesnar. WWE 2K17 features amazing graphics and gameplay, as well as a gigantic roster featuring the biggest and brightest WWE uh, superstars, both past and present. WWE 2K17 also offers a powerful creation suite featuring returning favorites, such as create a superstar, create a championship, and new creation options like create a video and create a victory. The all-new promo engine, which anybody that saw what The Miz did on Talking Smack, see if you can create a promo like that, uh, will bring the drama and personality to the w- of the WWE superstars to life in my career and WWE Universe modes. Your words will shape your characters as they rise through the ranks of NXT and WWE to become WWE Hall of Famers. Enjoy a star-studded soundtrack featuring some of the top names in the music industry curated by executive soundtrack producer Sean Diddy Combs. You might know him as Puff Daddy. Pre-order your copy today. Receive uh, uh, two playable characters of the legendary Bill Goldberg from his days in WCW and his WWE tenure, as well as two classic WCW arenas. For more information on everything WWE 2K17, go to WWE.2K.com. WWE 2K17 hits the shelves on October 11th. Get the Goldberg characters. Pre-order now. And let's do it. Let's get in to the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. State of Wrestling time, and I don't even know where to begin. I feel like so much has gone on over the last seven days. There have been probably three or four different instances where I could have popped in for an emergency State of Wrestling show, but I didn't. I didn't because I wanted to save it all up for you right here. And I will uh, I'll tell you this. The biggest story, Brock Lesnar. Gonna have to bring down that lifestyle of his a little bit. 500 buckaroos in the hole. Looks like that SummerSlam payday is not gonna be quite as sweet, huh? Look, as soon as I saw... I, I There is no way... I'll get into this, because this is a bigger conversation. The Shane McMahon spot with Brock Lesnar was not an audible. People said they had to call in that. It wasn't an audible. Do you know, they're setting up a Shane McMahon-Brock Lesnar match. For sure. If it doesn't happen, I doubt it'll... Look, it could happen at Royal Rumble or Survivor Series. It will probably be Shane's WrestleMania match this year. How are they going to top it? Shane McMahon is their guy. There's something about Shane McMahon. He's a maniac. He'll do anything for the right moment. And there is no way that you can't tell me. There's something compelling about a Shane McMahon-Brock Lesnar match. 
for the same reason why we were all interested in a Shane McMahon-Undertaker match. For anybody else in Shane McMahon's position, we'd sit there going, Brock Lesnar beat John Cena. Brock Lesnar beat The Undertaker multiple times. Brock Lesnar beat Randy Orton by technical knockout, which I didn't even know you could do in pro wrestling. You mean to tell me that we're supposed to believe that Shane McMahon has a fighting chance against Brock Lesnar? Yeah. Go (coughs) go back and watch his match with Kurt Angle from 2001 that Dan Soder and I were talking about. Shane McMahon, of course he shouldn't have a chance with a gold medal Olympian, but he does because he's Shane McMahon. No, we weren't mad at the idea of Shane McMahon versus The Undertaker in a Hell in a Cell, and nobody's going to be upset about a Shane McMahon-Brock Lesnar match. But that match will happen at WrestleMania, if not sooner. Mark my words. And I'm excited for it. I think Shane McMahon is a maniac for doing it, but I think there's no way it doesn't happen. And we'll talk next March. If it doesn't happen by next March, then, you know, I'll eat my hat, I suppose. We'll talk then, and you can tell me I'm wrong. But that is what's being set up. And I didn't, I was sitting there, I was very, very fortunate to go to both SummerSlam and Raw. I did not go to NXT because former uh, podcast guest Pat Buck was at, uh, uh, he got married this weekend. So I was at Pat Buck's wedding and uh, it was fun. It was super fun because there was a bunch of wrestlers at the wedding and a bunch of us, like Kurt Hawkins was there. That's right. And the wedding was afraid of him. <laughs> Kurt Hawkins, Chuck Norris facts, which I love. Um, but he and I were both sitting there trying to get the network to work on phones so we could see what was going on at NXT. By the end of it, absolutely at the after party, we were just searching for spoilers online because we couldn't handle it anymore. I did watch TakeOver, though, the next morning. Unbelievable show. It was great. I think it doesn't have the same spirit as last year. I think NXT is just in a different place. Last year's show was certainly far more special. NXT Brooklyn 1 may go down, you know, may go down as the best NXT show of all time. The first NXT Brooklyn show. Two shows. I think the most special NXT show of all time, especially for this incarnation of it, will probably be the WrestleMania 30 show that was not televised. And that's because that's what opened all the eyes to it. That's what made people realize, number one, they could sell big buildings, bigger buildings than they were, I should say. And number two, they have a real show here. And I heard all the stories about, you know, that that was when Vince McMahon, like, first realized what could be going on with these women. He was confused by it all. That was oh, there were all these stories coming out of it. And then the next one was last year's Brooklyn show. Because that was kind of, it wasn't her last match there, but it was Sasha Banks' grand finale, I'll say, in NXT. That Sasha Banks-Bailey match, not only do I think that was match of the year last year, I don't know that I've seen anything this year better than the Sasha Banks-Bailey match from NXT Brooklyn 1. Um, the ladder match, everything that happened uh, at that Brooklyn show, even the uh, Tyler Breeze Jushin Liger match was special. That was it, it was a special show, and it was the first time that anybody realized that NXT could sell an arena. That show was planned to do 5,000 people, maybe. They were going to completely cut down the Barclays Center. Then they sold the entire building. And that was, that was the genesis of what we know now. So those two shows, to me, and maybe I'm partial because I was at both those shows, are 
I haven't seen anything more special than either of those two shows. You know, it's like the first set of road trips that that, that we did show. Katie and I went to and did shows from when we interviewed Kevin Owens and Sasha Banks and all those people. It was the first NXT road trip. There's something special about that, and there's something special about both those shows. Now, this year's NXT Brooklyn show was a fantastic show and really said something about putting on a two-and-a-half-hour wrestling show, which we'll get into, but that may, that's, I mean, two-and-a-half hours is the perfect length for a wrestling show. For a pay-per-view, two-and-a-half hours. That's your length. Pack it full. Leave them wanting more. We could have had another match and been happy, but we didn't get it. Perfect. Perfect. You don't need to saturate when you're going to do another three hours in the same building the next night, but um, it, was a, it was still a phenomenal show. You had your moment with Bobby Roode's entrance. The Nakamura entrance, the Nakamura match. I think the Nakamura Samoa Joe match was was fantastic. It was fabulous, and the tag match was incredible. I just I love Dash and Dawson, and that's why I wouldn't have been shocked had they been drafted to SmackDown. As a matter of fact, they should be drafted to SmackDown. Uh, there's going to be another match in this tag tournament. We saw six teams. We need eight teams for a tournament. We know one of them is going to be Rhino and Heath Slater. I would love it if Dash and Dawson made a surprise appearance and entered themselves into this tag tournament. I'm so high on them, honestly. How cool would it be if they entered into this tag tournament as a surprise and we saw Dash and Dawson holding the NXT and the SmackDown tag titles at the same time? It'd be amazing. And it'd be great because there's no title belts that look exactly like the SmackDown tag title belts. I mean, that look exactly like the NXT title belts, which we can't necessarily say about SmackDown. Um, but I'll get into the title belt thing as well. Uh, but that's what I thought about the NXT show. I thought it was a fantastic show. It just wasn't the special show that the first NXT Brooklyn show was. Um, the SummerSlam, so here's, what I, here's where I am with SummerSlam. Sometimes, I'm a big Jay-Z fan. You could say the same thing about Guns N' Roses. Uh, My same example works for them. But Jay-Z put out an album called The Blueprint 2. The Blueprint 2 was a double album. Two CDs, two albums in one package. It's a long one. There is one, to me, there is one fantastic album in The Blueprint 2. Same way when Guns N' Roses put out a double album. One fantastic album in that double album. And then the rest of it is a lot of filler. There's a lot of tracks you can skip. But there is... And and it's kind of a heartbreaker. Because you go, if you would put this all on one album, then you have, in the case of Jay-Z, you have, like, The Blueprint. Where there is there are no tracks on the album, The Blueprint, that you skip. You have The Black Album. There are no tracks on The Black Album that you skip. If you would shave down your double album... I just made one amazing album, then you'd have it. If you take SummerSlam and you shave it down by an hour to an hour and a half and you make that pre-show an hour instead of two hours, you've got an amazing show. But instead, you've got an audience that is exhausted by the time Dolph Ziggler and uh, 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 Dean Ambrose show up. Exhaust. I'm telling you I was there. The audience was exhausted by the time that <laughs> that match took place. And the storytelling going into that match was not the best. So there wasn't as much of a reason to care about it. And that's the, the worst position you can possibly be in. The, the show was so front-loaded. That's why I don't understand 
the thinking, and I'm sure it looked great on paper, and hindsight is twenty twenty. But the real flaw of SummerSlam was in the pacing, and in the in in the thinking of of front loading it like that. You know, I I, I really enjoyed the Jericho Kevin Owens uh, uh, Cass and Enzo match. Uh, the AJ Styles John Cena match. I don't think you can argue stole the show. The Finn Balor Seth Rollins match was incredible. Had it not been for you know the unveiling of an ugly championship title, and you can even save even though the the finish was not great in terms of feeling satisfying, you can still save that Brock Lesnar Randy Orton match just for what a spectacle it was. But number one, it shouldn't have closed the pay per view because it left people with a bad taste in their mouth. The same way, I don't know for some reason SummerSlam finishes leave. Like, the card is always so promising, but let's look back a few years. People left the Staples Center upset when Daniel Bryan won the title and Randy Orton cashed in. I was optimistic. I was not upset in that moment. Other people were, and lo and behold, those other people were correct because WWE had no plans, no plans on letting Daniel Bryan uh, uh, get that moment again until it had to happen. And maybe they were right because he ended up getting injured, and we'll talk about that and the whole Miz thing as well. Uh, but you also have, I think it was last year, the Brock Lesnar Undertaker thing, where it was kind of this non-finish that the live crowd didn't understand what was going on, and that left people going like, ah. Oh. And you can't put on a four-hour pay-per-view and leave people like, ugh. Oh. Same thing happened at WrestleMania, to tell you the truth. Like, it was this great show, and then you leave with the Roman finish that everybody saw coming, and you just go, ah. Oh. Especially since you had just had a non-finish in the Rusev-Roman Reigns match that didn't even happen for whatever reason. I guess it was just because they wanted to get out of it, which is fine. But do that in the middle of the show. Don't do like a non-finish and then a TKO to end six hours of wrestling. Because it wasn't like WrestleMania. WrestleMania had a long pre-show, but it took forever to people to get in their seats. By the time... The second pre-show match was happening, which was, uh, I guess, the, uh, the div- well, I don't remember what the second pre-show match was. It was the tag match, the Sami Zayn, Neville versus Dudley Boys match. By the time that match happened, the arena was pretty full. So most of the people there were sitting there for five hours plus. I got to watch the Brock Lesnar thing from the front row because my friend's Kevin Undergaro. And Maria Menounos were there, and they were gracious enough to invite me down to sit with them, and that was uh, very, very nice of them. Um, I saw immediately when Brock Lesnar started landing those elbows on Randy Orton's head, I said he's only trying to do one thing. He's trying to make him bleed. And this isn't a, a, a Brock Lesnar thing. Here's what I want you to do. Go to the WWE Network. Look up WrestleMania 20. Look up uh, uh, the tag match. The Rock and Sock tag match. It was The Rock and uh, Mankind, or Mick Foley, versus, I think, Randy Orton, Ric Flair, and Batista. I may be wrong about that, but I know that they were telling a story between Randy Orton and Mick Foley. And Randy Orton is trying to get Mick Foley to bleed the old school way, which is using the knuckles to punch down over the eyebrow. And you watch, and Mick Foley has written about it in his book, you watch as Randy Orton is just slamming his fist into Mick Foley's head over and over again trying to get that blood because he's not hitting the right spot. And he is he's wailing on him, wailing on him, 
this is something that has been done in wrestling for a long time. Now, Brock Lesnar is such a, a freak and a beast that it certainly looks worse when Brock Lesnar is doing it, but it's not unheard of that somebody would bust somebody open like that. And if anybody is going to take that hit, it's Randy Orton. He's an old school guy. He's grown up in wrestling the way he has. And, I, you know, and, and, and so that's, that's the way I saw it. And then the Shane McMahon thing was setting something up for the future. But at the same time, a lot of things have been happening lately. We've got the Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton finish. And we'll get into the Jericho story as well. But we got the Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton finish. We have the Dudley boys retiring. We have the Miz on Talking Smack. All three of those things have the internet desperately, desperately trying to figure out. They're begging, please, please just tell us the truth, Dave Meltzer. Please, Dave Meltzer. Can you please find out for us what's going on? Is it a work? I have to know. The point is that we finally entered an era of wrestling where... Us, me and you, the guys that have been watching forever, the girls that have been watching forever, we're watching the show not 100% sure whether what we're seeing is real or not. Don't scour the internet pleading with people trying to figure out if it's a work or not. Don't even argue if it's a work or not. We shouldn't even be having a conversation. Don't even use the word work if you're a wrestling fan. Don't try to figure out if it's fake or real. What difference does it make? The point is, it's compelling and it's great storytelling. But I gotta know. What's the Dudley Boys contract status? Who cares? We saw on Raw they retired. So as far as we know, they're retired. Seemed legit to me. And everyone's like, oh, but they're setting up a thing with the club. To me, when I saw the Dudley Boys retire, I saw, again, Bubba Ray Dudley is the most old school guy I know. Save for maybe JBL. But you could have that argument. Devon is an old school guy too. They've been wrestling forever. And I believe that they wanted to go out the way old school wrestlers go out, which is on their backs. They wanted to put somebody over on their way out, which is fine. You know, I don't have a problem with that. If, if I'm wrong, I could be wrong too. I don't know. But I'm not overthinking it. I'm going like, okay, I believe a scenario where they get beat up on their way out. And I believe a scenario where they're going to surprise us later. But either way, I'm cool with it. And if they surprise us later, it's going to be a blast because it seemed like a legitimate retirement, you know? Um, but I don't think there's any reason to, to, to try to figure out for sure. Now, what's real, though? Tell me for sure. Like, what's, who knew what about what? Like, it doesn't matter. For us, the fans, the people just watching, just watch. Just see where it goes. Because more often than not, even if stuff isn't planned, if it clicks, hopefully they'll make it a story. Hopefully... They won't just be like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Let's go back to the plan. They'll go, oh, people are talking about this. Let's make something happen. You know? What if it wasn't audible and Shane McMahon wasn't supposed to come out? They'll still make something happen. I'm sure it wasn't, but still. Still. I talked about it on the SiriusXM show. I am so interested, I'll say, in this Chris Jericho-Brock Lesnar story. So the story goes, and it was reported all over the place that after the Brock Lesnar-Randy Orton match at SummerSlam, Chris Jericho was pissed. He was apparently representing the locker room. He went into the gorilla position, you know, that little area before they go out in front of the curtain, and was asking the agents and stuff whether what just happened was supposed to happen. Was Brock Lesnar supposed to bust Randy Orton like that? Because he was just elbowing him in the head. And that's why I was talking about sitting up close, not to brag, but to tell you that I saw up close 
those elbows being driven into Randy Orton's head. And you know what? They were legit. And he was legitimately trying to get him to bleed. There's no other reason you do that. By the way, Brock Lesnar is such an intimidating presence. When they were outside the ring, we were sitting behind the commentary tables. When they were outside the ring and Lesnar was like, like we were right next to where Lesnar threw Randy Orton over the guardrail and then brought him over and put him, you know, through the table. I was so scared as I was watching that while his blood was boiling, while he was in the middle of this match, he would look at me, see me, make eye contact, and remember me as the little idiot that asked him what's the haps the night before. I was so worried that that was going to happen because I knew if that happened, he would rip my face off, and for good reason. That's all I could think about, just like sitting down and hiding behind people so the, the beast didn't see me. And that's what I want. I haven't felt that in years. My first live event, the first time I was at a live wrestling show, was SummerSlam 92 in Wembley Stadium. I think I was eight years old. And when Papa Shango came out, I was scared he was going to put a curse on me. And when Kamala came out, I was scared. Because this person, nobody, he's uncontrollable. You know? I love that as an adult, there's something in me that's a little nervous around this guy. It's great. Makes me feel like a kid again. And that's what wrestling is all about. Escapism. And just falling into this crazy, crazy world. Um, but so Jericho is trying to ask these people if it's real or not, and nobody will tell him, nobody will answer his questions. And he says, well, that's BS. And Brock Lesnar walks through the curtain, he hears him say it, and he goes, mind your own business. So Jericho gets in his face, and Brock Lesnar kisses him on the forehead and says, kiss me back. Then Jericho goes face-to-face -face with him, like forehead-to-forehead, -forehead, like, mega, like Mega Powers Collide style. Like Hogan, Hogan Warrior before WrestleMania Six style. Remember that? After that Saturday night's main event, where they were just like walking towards each other, but their foreheads were just pushing into each other. Apparently, that's what was going on backstage between Chris Jericho and Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar put his hands behind his back, and he said, hit me or kiss me. And apparently used a lot of other very bad language and slurs. And they had, to get, they had to get broken up. And Vince started yelling at Jericho to be professional, I guess, is what the internet is saying. But I think it's pretty badass, the idea that Jericho would stand up to Brock Lesnar. That takes balls. People were telling me it took balls to ask Brock Lesnar what's the haps. And I'll take that, but not the kind of balls it takes to, ask Brock, to get in Brock Lesnar's face. So man, man oh man, Jericho was ready for a fight. And he would have gotten one, I'll bet, if it hadn't gotten broken up. I would love to hear about that. I would love to hear what would happen because who knows? Maybe one of the reasons Brock is so, uh, is so tough is because he's not getting tested and Jericho is ready to go. I don't know. I don't know what kind of strength. Jericho had all. He was, he was emotional. Maybe he would have had that fire in him that would have let him kick Brock Lesnar's ass. I doubt it. Brock Lesnar's a beast. But if you're that willing to fight him, you got to have something in you, right? I think so. So, all that said, Let's get into SummerSlam. Let's get into the title belt situation. Championship titles, I guess. Um, you know, Seth Rollins is making comments about the fact that the fans were booing the match because of the championship. And that is a, a problem. You know, you, you, it, it, it'd be better to give the wrestlers the respect that they deserve when, honestly, the Finn Balor-Seth Rollins match was amazing. It's a dream match to watch happen at a SummerSlam show. 
Like these guys have worked so hard to get there and it's a scenario that you never thought would happen. So to see it is just amazing. I was blown away by the match. I thought it was great. Um, Balor's entrance was amazing. And and it tells you how good they are that after like whatever it was, six, eight minutes, they were able to get the crowd back involved in the match. They got them to forget about the championship, which would not have happened with lesser people. But I don't know what they expected. Here's the thing. You can't keep unveiling the same championship. Wrestling fans like the way championship belts look. We just like it. There's something about it. When I went to the WWE warehouse, the only thing I wanted to see was all the championships, not the replicas. I wanted to be able to hold, touch, feel, take a photo of the real championship titles. For whatever reason, it means the world to us. And it means the world to us what they look like. I've got a I've got a winged eagle championship on my desk. I paid a lot of money for it because I wanted to make sure it had the WWF, not the WWE logo. And it's just a replica. I would the things I would do, the things I would do for a real version of that championship. It means everything to me. It's my favorite title for, by a, by a mile. And part of that is for nostalgia, and the other part of it is just because it looks so cool. And that's no secret that wrestling fans like championships. But here's what's happened. So, WWE unveils this this championship title for The Rock, I believe it was. You know, uh, and it's like, okay, like, I like it, I like it. And then when they change their logo, they're like, good news, we have a new championship. And you go, oh, okay, and it's pretty much the same, which is fine because they had just redesigned it. I didn't have a problem with that. It's pretty much the same, except the word champion is smaller and the logo is not the Scratch logo. That's fine. That's no problem. But it starts to become a problem where, okay, now you... And then they're going to unify the titles, right? They're going to unify the titles. And when they unify the titles, they just go back to using that one new one. Okay, but now I kind of feel like we've unveiled the same title three times. Okay. And then we go to WrestleMania. And they're like, we have a new women's championship. Oh, we get to see a new championship title. And it looks the same as the WWE championship. It's the same front plate. And you go, okay, I guess, you know, it's cool. It's white and red. It's a different color. And it's cool. It's a cool moment. The women get something of equal value to the men. That's okay. I can accept it. I can accept it. They announce a month in advance that they have a new championship with a new name, the Universal Championship speculation about what the title is going to look like goes so far that Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon are tweeting about it. So we know people care. To walk to the ring with the championship covered builds anticipation. Even more than the anticipation you've built over the last month promoting the fact that there's going to be this title belt. When you build that anticipation, people expect a payoff. When the payoff is, we are now unveiling the same championship for the sixth time. It's the same one again. People are going to be like, what are you doing? And it's red. Of course people are going to be upset by that. You can see that a mile away. If anything, have Mick Foley walk to the ring with it. Don't unveil it. If you're going to unveil it, If you're going to build anticipation for it, 
then there has to be a payoff. If you know there's not a payoff, because it's the same title that Dean Ambrose just fought for, but it's red, then what are you doing? By the way, black and gold looks more prestigious than red and gold. Red and gold looks like a novelty. Black and gold looks like a championship. So right away, there's a lot wrong with it. And if you don't want your fans, if you don't want that to take away from your match, then don't unveil it right before the match and build anticipation. I feel like there's a lot of stuff with SummerSlam that you could have seen coming to stop this stuff. The two non-finishes to end the show and to unveil this title, which was not an unveiling at all because it looked the same, just doesn't make any sense. Like, look what they did on SmackDown. They learned from their mistakes. They realized, look, all we're doing is unveiling the same titles again. It's the same tag belts. At least the tag titles look a little better because the silver and blue works together. And, and I mean, the women's, the SmackDown Women's Championship, thank God they did not make a big deal out of that. Because I would have had to, I would have had to light something on fire. I would have had to drive to the Mohegan Sun and light the building on fire if they had once again unveiled the same championship title. SmackDown learned from the mistakes of Raw. They made it less about the physical belt and more about winning the championship. I think. I think. But of course, of course you're going to get booed out of the building if you make it about, oh, let's all look. Finally, you can all see what the championship looks like. And everybody's like, I've seen it already, except in black. I literally just saw it three matches ago, except in black. I mean, that's an obvious one, you know? And that's stuff they got to see coming. That is stuff that they have to see coming. I want to talk about, to me, Finn Balor's injury and The Miz's promo are stories that work in tandem. I mean, I'm heartbroken to see Finn Balor's injury. Um, You know, and it's not even like the Seth Rollins injury, I could immediately look and say, okay, he's going to be able to come back even stronger when he comes back. But uh, Finn Balor will too. But he, ha- he does, hasn't had the build that Seth Rollins had. Seth Rollins had years to make people miss him. And it's like what we miss right now is what would have been, not what was. With Seth Rollins, what we missed was what we knew we were getting. With Finn Balor, what we miss is what could have been. It was so exciting. It was such a great moment. And you also worry. Like you get this moment where they're actually giving a new guy a chance and they're going all the way strapping the rocket to his back and then he gets injured and you wonder was that it was that it will they you hope they will give him another shot but you wonder was that it and the first thing that flashed into my mind was going back and listening to this podcast because it was the first time i had heard somebody that was with the company that was freddie prince jr great dude who said that vince and the wwe and they are right don't like putting the title on smaller guys because they get injured more often. And I thought to myself, is that the problem here? Now, there are some people saying that it's Seth Rollins, you know, running powerbomb. He injured Sting on the turnbuckle. Now he's injured Finn Balor on the, on the barricade. They're saying that's the problem, not the fact that Finn Balor is a smaller guy. I don't buy that either of those two problems are the problems. Here's what I think, and I thought this before Talking Smack, so I'm glad that The Miz brought it up. 
By the way, two things. Number one, I told you Talking Smack was the best show on the network. I told you that, like, last week or the week before. When I was going, I think it was two weeks ago, when I was going on my diatribe about how good Renee Young is. And by the way, if Renee Young wants to, I guarantee you in 10 years she'll be hosting the Today Show or GMA. She's that good. She's better than almost any host on television right now, not just wrestling. I told you, number one, Talking Smack was a great show, and it's proven to be. Number two, I've been singing the praises of The Miz for a long time. So all you Miz bandwagon jumpers, you're not going to get anything from me. But... Miz said it right when Daniel Bryan said that The Miz works at WWE style. And he kind of talked down to him on that. And, 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 you know, in terms of do I think this is real, do I think it's fake, you know, I think it was – there's a lot of realness in fake, right? So whether it's real or fake, whether it's work or shoot, whatever you want to say, the things that those guys said – came from the heart. Certainly the stuff Miz was saying, I saw the look on his face. And the stuff Miz was saying is the stuff that is in you hold in your heart. You hear these criticisms. And that's something that has been on the Miz's, not on his brain, on his heart for a long time. And I think he finally took the opportunity to say something about it. Um you know, I like like it wasn't written for him. It wasn't this planned sort of thing. It was this is how the Miz felt about what Daniel Bryan just said. Was the walk-off planned? Who knows? What, what difference does it make? As I said before, um, but I think I th- honestly, Daniel Bryan was probably coming from a pretty real place, and the Miz was as well. And the Miz got the better of him because here's what the Miz made clear, and he's a hundred percent right. The Miz was getting criticized for working a WWE style. Daniel Bryan is not wrestling today because he worked a more dangerous style. Daniel Bryan received more concussions and more injuries because he worked a more dangerous style. That's the style he wanted to work. That's the style we all loved. The penalty is he has to leave wrestling in his mid-30s, which is ridiculously young. The reason... Finn Balor is injured. The reason Enzo got hurt. The reason all these people, the reason Sasha Banks' back is not great. The reason all of these injuries have happened so frequently. We're getting injuries so much more often now. And the reason that they're happening is because guys are trying to work a style more often than they should, in my opinion. I think that the reason that there are more injuries happening is because people are bringing a more contemporary style that you could describe as a more indie style, a more uh, worldwide style, to WWE. And the WWE is unique because of their schedule and because of their pacing. It's grueling. You can't work like that every night. You just can't. And that, to me is why people are getting injured. And that was the Miz's best point. And he, he he put it out there perfectly that the reason that the Miz works in a slower, more WWE style is because he wants to be in the ring for years and years to come. And what he's saying is, if Daniel Bryan truly 
truly wanted to be in the ring for all of his life, then he could have slowed down because the tortoise wins the race, not the hare. And I and I think that that's true. I think it just is. Like you can't maintain the way you thought you could when you were younger. It just isn't possible in WWE. And I think that, that that's going to be something that's taken note of. You know, I think that, that a lot of the guys are going to start slowing down, and I think that they should. But I think that it was the best promo The Miz has ever done by a long shot. It was the best promo anybody's done in a long time because it was real, and it came from a real place. If you go back to one of my really early podcasts, I mean, go back probably a year and a half ago, I'm talking about the WWE Network, and I'm talking about the Raw and SmackDown pre-shows. And what I'm saying is, and what I've believed since then is, that you have to put something compelling on those shows. You have to do something that people who watch the main show want to see. You can't just recap. It can't just be bonus. It can't just be extra features. It's not just a director's commentary. It has to be like you didn't see the full story unless you saw it on the network. And there should be moments on SmackDown where you're seeing, oh, this happened on Talking Smack. You got to tune in for this. Because that's why you can't just put a commercial out that says, hey, Talking Smack's going to be on after. You can't just say, oh, don't forget the Raw pre-show's on. Something has to happen on the Raw pre-show, whether it's a promo, whether it's whatever, that makes you want to watch that. I said that years ago, and that's what's happening. That's what's happening, you know, and I think that it's so valuable. I think that that's, they're using Talking Smack in the best way possible. They're putting talented people on. They're not overproducing them. And they're doing things that are you're going to want to see. You know, like I was interested, like, you know, what I think it was last week when John Cena was on. And they were asking him great questions. And Daniel Bryan, that's what Daniel Bryan, Renee is arguably, in terms of host, not commentary, in terms of host, she's probably the best host WWE has ever had. Possibly and probably. You know, you could tweet me and, and yell at me or whatever if I'm not thinking of somebody. I'm not talking about Bobby Heenan. I'm not talking about Gorilla Monsoon. I'm not talking about commentary people. I'm talking about hosts. I think Renee is the best they've ever had. Um, and Daniel Bryan, because he loves wrestling so much, has such this wrestling mind. that And, and he's also such kind of like a, 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 a shit stirrer. I'm just trying to think of a more eloquent way to put that. Like, if you watch the, uh, the Ryback... Dolph Ziggler, Daniel Bryan, Table for Three episode, you know that Daniel Bryan, he likes, you know, catching people. He likes making fun of people. He likes goofing. He likes having fun. And he's taking that spirit and he's using it in the way he conducts Talking Smack uh, and and asking people these questions that he knows are going to be controversial, but he knows are honest questions and he knows are questions that should be asked. So I love what he's doing. Um and I think that's the strength of the show. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that The Miz did that and was able to pull that off. Uh, I thought the, you know, speak, uh, talk, it almost becomes a talking smack recap show. But um, I like the idea of Carmella being a heel, too. And that's not just from talking smack. That's from SmackDown, obviously, that she turned on Nikki Bella. Because um, to put Nikki Bella on the bad guys team at, SmackDown, on, at SummerSlam didn't really work so much for me because 
people were happy to see her. I was happy to see her. I was over the moon to see her. Um, and Carmella hasn't quite clicked with the audience. You know, she's she will, and she's amazing, and her energy is fantastic. Like, it doesn't matter what the crowd is giving her. She's going to get them up, and that's probably being, you know, what was she, an NFL and NBA cheerleader, Laker girl, the whole deal. So she's used to getting crowds ramped up, and she's really good at it. But something about it wasn't clicking, so I think it's great that uh, that she turned into a bad guy and that she turned on Nikki Bella, and it's a great space for her to be in. Uh, I'm excited to see exactly what's happening. You know, I'm interested to see what happens on Raw next week with the title. I would assume that they're going to put the championship on Seth Rollins. I would, I mean, if they did something like crazy, like put it on Kevin Owens, I think it would be absolutely unbelievable and amazing. I think it would be a mistake to put it on Roman Reigns. I think he still needs some time. But I will tell you this. Brooklyn was booing Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, and they were being totally dishonest. Totally dishonest. Roman Reigns is starting to catch a bad case of the yaboos, as I said. Yaboo! In Brooklyn, when that music hit, they cheered him. Then they booed him. In Brooklyn, when he surprised everybody and he ran out and he speared Rusev, they cheered him. Then they booed him. It was the same New York reaction that John Cena got when he returned as a surprise at the Royal Rumble. The yaboo. Nobody expected it. They cheered because John Cena's back, and then they remembered they're supposed to be booing him. That's what is starting to happen to Roman Reigns, which is good. But I still think that they need some time, you know, bringing him down just below the surface. Just below the surface uh, and keeping him right there. And if they keep him there, then I think eventually he will be able to have a successful run as a main event guy and, and back in the world title scene. But I also think that he needs to be continue to be as big a badass, if not a bigger badass, than he has been. Because that's what's really working. That's what makes it so that the audience uh, has trouble booing him, even though they want to, because they don't feel legitimate about it. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that's what's going on. I would say, uh, I don't know if it was me, but props to Mick Foley on bringing some flannel back. I think that should be a permanent fixture, as I said. Props to Kevin, and, and that might have been me. I wouldn't be surprised. Props to Kevin Owens on proclaiming the title, what I proclaimed it to be, champion of the universe, and I hope he does become champion of the universe. Um, and to all the wrestlers out there, stop using Adderall, you know, don't use it anymore. It seems like uh, that's the go-to now. Everybody's getting busted for using Adderall. Don't use Adderall. Don't use it. People keep getting suspended for it. Stop doing that. The Eva Marie suspension is being handled better than any suspension I've ever seen in my life. She's suffering from exhaustion. Fantastic. Fantastic. The fact that they're doing that tells me that they're still putting faith in the character. Amazing. Amazing. So tell her a husband or boyfriend or whoever, maybe, you know, don't talk quite so much because they're still they're still doing just fine. All right. That's kind of what's going on, I think. If you have any uh, – if I missed anything, hit me up on Twitter, at NotSam, because uh, I'd love to hear from you. Um, I also want to remind you that uh, uh, 2K17, WWE 2K17, uh, has sponsored uh, today's episode, so thanks a lot to them. Uh, get ready to be taken to Suplex City, guys, courtesy of WWE 2K17. WWE 2K17 is back once again as the defending champion of WWE video games with its cover superstar, man who I got to interview this week, Brock Lesnar. WWE 2K17 features amazing graphics and gameplay, as well as a gigantic roster 
featuring the biggest and brightest WWE superstars past and present. Pre-order your copy today and receive two playable characters of the legendary Bill Goldberg from his days in WCW and his tenure in WWE, as well as two classic WCW arenas. WWE 2K17 hits the shelves on October 11th. Pre-order now, and we'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.